0: Town manager still, or or Henry, morning Henry, I know you're watching, uh, uh, something about photography or reach or something, or Joe about engineering, or any of you about the interests and hobbies that you've got, you'd have answered me straight away. But there's something different about the gospel. I mean, we all know what the gospel is, don't we? We come here every Sunday, we must hear it every Sunday, or perhaps when we're reading scripture or our daily devotionals. And yet, suddenly to speak it out can be quite difficult, can't it? Because we're not very practiced at it. But the good thing is, the more we practice, the better we'll get. Now, some people I talk to think to themselves, well, do we have to do it at all? I mean, in this church, for example, you've got a wonderful, learned, and capable leadership family who are more versed in the Bible than I am. Surely that's their job let's have a think about what Jesus has to say about this that worked thank you so this is Jesus you probably recognize the, the quote at the top uh, this is from the great commission Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation and if we want to call ourselves Jesus' disciples then his word then is his word for us now. So that's all of us. Notice, I, just, I do want to take uh, a little time just to say this. He's not suggesting that we go and preach the gospel. He's not asking us to do it. He's not urging us to do it. This is a command. He's telling us to do it. This is in the imperative sense. It's a command to us to preach the gospel. I'm having great fun with this microphone, by the way. <laughs> We have to do it. And I've put a little bit up here from Ephesians 4. You must have had 101 preachings on Ephesians 4, so I won't labour the point. But just just to say that, see that word apostles there, small a apostles, not the 12 apostles. That word apostle means sent ones. And we can see from that great commission statement that we're all sent ones. God is sending us all out into the world to share our faith. And therefore, Paul's words here, are for all of us as well. Our Christian lives will be characterized by prophecy, that is speaking out God's truth, by evangelism, sharing our faith, by some leading, shepherding, pastoring, and by some teaching, usually from scriptures, if we're pointing scriptures out to people. This is what the Christian walk is characterized by. Notice that Paul doesn't say, you could do all of this, or you can be a Sunday-only worshiper. It's not good enough just to turn up to a church on Sunday and worship. He's saying these are the things that we can tell we're Christians by. So we have to preach the gospel in a way that is understandable, perhaps relevant to people. So let's watch a video of someone trying to do exactly that. I that video will work, but if it doesn't, don't worry, the words will do. I didn't bring my joke book with me, I'm sorry. Well, with technology, I'm known for it, I'm famous for it. (laughs) Don't worry, we can just listen to the words, it's, it's, it's fine, and we'll all laugh when I talk about the graphics. Just leave it with the sound, it's fine. I don't know about you, but i rather like that. Was that the gospel? Yeah, yeah. But what the guy didn't do was take a large amount of scripture and just try to read that to somebody because if you're not used to that sort of thing, you'll just put up your barrier straight away. He tried to make it relevant. Your debts will be my debts. Your pit will be my pit. We all know what it is to be in a pit of despair or, or to have debts or whatever. So he tried to make it relevant. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting next to somebody at a railway station and I want to share my faith, I don't carry a script around with me, and I don't carry those graphics around with me, sometimes not even in church. So what do I do? Perhaps God wants people who can speak well. Perhaps he wants good presenters, like the presenter of of that video. Is that who God wants, perhaps? Perhaps. Well, my good friend Stephen has uh, kindly given up his uh, worship day today in his own church to come and read for us, and he's going to come and tell us about a biblical character who may not have been the best presenter or the smoothest talker. Thank you, Stephen.
1: So, the microphone is there. So, this is from um, Exodus 4, starting at uh, verse 10 through to 16. And it says, Then Moses said to Yahweh, Please, Lord, I have never been a man of words, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your slave, for I am one with a hard mouth and a hard tongue. And Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? So now go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and will instruct you said please lord now send the message by whom whoever you will and then the anger of yahweh burned against moses and he said is there not your brother aaron the levite i know that he can certainly speak and moreover behold he is coming out to meet you and he will see you and be glad in his heart and you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth and i even i will be with your mouth and with his mouth and i will instruct you in what you shall do Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will become as a mouth for you, and you will become as God to him. Thank
0: you, Stephen. Thanks. So that was Moses, the, the man who scripture calls the friend of God. And yet here he is, he's encountered God directly, and he says, well, I can't bring this message to your people because I've got a problem. And God says, look, I'm God. Whatever the problem is, I can fix it. We don't know what Moses' problem is. Some people say that he's got a speech impediment. Some people say that he can't speak Hebrew. Other people say that he's a military leader and he's not very good at public speaking. It doesn't really matter. Because God is saying, although I'm the creator of all, I will be in your mouth. I'll give you the words to say. And Moses, out of his cowardice, says no. And so we end up, I mean, God gets angry, but he's also merciful, and we end up with this rather childish arrangement of whisper down the lane. God tells Moses, Moses tells Aaron, Aaron tells the people. Moses was afraid, and I think a lot of us, if we've tried to share our faith with other people, those kind of first times, we are afraid, aren't we? I know I was. My grown-up children used to live in Surrey, and I up here and it was convenient to us to meet in London at Waterloo Station and we'd spend the day together and I knew I knew I had to share my faith God was putting it really heavily on my heart and I was saying no I'm not the right person I can't I don't know my scripture as as well as all these other people and I'm not a very good speaker why would you pick on me but he kept putting it there in my heart and I started out by sitting down in Waterloo Station and not saying anything to anybody. I'd, I'd see someone go past, really arbitrary, really. Uh, someone in a wheelchair would go past, and I'd pray for him in my mind. And I would think, oh, that's good enough. You know, I'm being a good Christian here. But it wasn't. And I knew it wasn't. And so I hit on this amazing plan. I went and bought myself a Bible from Foyle's the bookshop. And it wasn't a particularly special Bible. It was the NIV. You can get them anywhere but it had the one criteria it needed to have. It had the words Holy Bible written down the spine in really big letters because my plan was I was going to sit in Waterloo Station and I was going to genuinely read the Bible. I was hungry for God's word, but people would look at me and see the words Holy Bible and say, oh, that's all right. There's a Christian there and it's okay to read the Bible in public. And I didn't have to do anything. The Bible did all the work for me. The Bible was my Aaron. amazing as this plan was as as many ticks it gave and all the boxes i had there was only one thing wrong with it it wasn't god's plan that's not what god wanted and i'll show you what he did a little bit later on but it's okay to be afraid i was sitting there that first time in waterloo station with that bible i knew it wasn't what god wanted and i was shaking literally shaking like this The next person we're going to hear about from the Bible is also someone who felt a lot of fear when he started out. And if you haven't heard this story, his identity may well surprise you. Stephen, would you come up and tell us about this next person, please?
1: Uh, So this reading is from uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 2, um, from verse 1 down to verse 5. Uh, When I came to you, brothers... I did not come with superiority of word or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my word and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God.
0: So once again, we've got a major biblical character. This is Paul, aside from Jesus, probably the best, the most effective evangelist that ever was. And yet here he is, as he's starting out, he's in the middle of the market square in Corinth. And what does he say? I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my word was, and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. He wasn't selling God. It's not his job or our God to go around converting people. It's our God just to speak about God using words. There's a a phrase that's used, usually attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, And it says something like, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now I don't believe he ever said that because Francis of Assisi used a lot of words and a lot of them were really good. Everybody in the Bible uses words. We should use words too. It's right to live a Christian life and show it by the way we live, but we must use words, i suggest to you. Paul's yes was Moses's no. Paul's idea was to feel the fear and do it anyway. And I think that's a good thing for us, isn't it? Because we're bound to be afraid. I mean, some of you might be asking right now, why Paul met God, knocked him off his horse, told him a few home truths. So he met God. Why should Paul be afraid? He knows God's looking after him, but he's human. We're all human. We're all imperfect. We're all broken. We're all going to feel afraid. Fear is not the barrier to sharing your faith with someone. That's not the criteria. The criteria is if we turn up and take part, just like Paul did. was sitting at Waterloo Station with my Bible that first time, and I was literally shaking. And I got the urge to look up to my right, and there was a man there, possibly in his 60s, well-dressed man, suit, tie. And I looked at the tie, and the tie had an emblem on it. And this emblem just stood out to me. The, the, the Holy Spirit was just really making that obvious to me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where text or images or whatever sounds stand out to you when the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. But he did to me. And so I said to the man, I couldn't help but notice what, what that emblem is on your tire. I'm sorry for being nosy, but could you tell me about it? And he told me that he was a royal civil engineer and he'd retired and he was down for the day for a reunion. But he'd had to cut the day short because his wife was seriously ill. So, I looked at him, and I looked at my Bible, and I said, well, you can probably see I'm a Christian. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that Jesus hears every prayer. Would you like me to pray with you about your wife? And he said, yes. And so we prayed together. And then he got up very teary-eyed and went and got his train. He thanked me for it. I don't know what happened next, whether his wife got healed or not. But that wasn't the point. Well, that day, I tell you, I was walking on air. My kids turned up, they thought I was mad. I was praising God as if, you know, the, the, the most dramatic thing had happened, because I just didn't believe he could use me in that way. Turned up the next time, I'm sitting there with my Bible, I hear a voice over my left shoulder, are you reading the Bible? I looked up, and this is honestly true. There was a woman there in full Regency gear. The whole, whole Jane Austen nine yards. She had a dress, a bustle, a parasol. She had all the white makeup and the little love heart, the wig, I hope it was a wig, uh, uh, and the hat. And I said, yes, I'm reading the Bible. She said, I didn't think anybody read the Bible anymore. I said, well, I think there's more people alive today reading the Bible than there ever has been in the past, actually. And she said, well, I used to read the Bible, and I used to go to church, but I don't anymore. Now, here's a tip I've learned by accident. Don't ask probing questions, especially if you're talking about faith. People just switch off. They they put the, the barriers up straight away. So instead, I said something back to her that she'd said to me, you used to go to church? And she told me that she used to go to church 15 years ago, and her sister came into that church and said something really offensive and humiliating to her. And she thought, if Christians can behave like this, I want no part of it. She walked out of that church out of her sister's life and never forgave her. That's what she told me. And so what occurred to me was to talk about forgiveness. To talk about the way that God doesn't condone sin when he forgives it. Far from it. And so we're not condoning anybody's offences if we forgive them. We're just withdrawing our anger from them and behaving the way that Jesus asks us to behave. And she looked. nice to speak to you. I went back to my Bible. And she walked in front of me and then she stopped. And she turned around and said, you know, you're right. I'm going to ring my sister today. And I smirk. And she took another couple of paces and then turned around and she said, and I'm going to find my Bible. And off she went. I I don't know what happened after that, but that's what happened. And things like this happened every time. And at some point, I realized I didn't actually need the Bible there either. I mean, I took it because I wanted to read it, but it it wasn't integral to what God's plan was. He just wanted me to turn up in Waterloo Station for some reason and talk to people. And it struck me that it wasn't a great theologian or a leader of a church or some great person that God wanted in that place and time. It was me. He just wanted me to sit there and say out whatever occurred to me, whatever the Holy Spirit put in my mouth. And you can do that too. All you've got to do is pray for the opportunities. Because if you pray for the opportunities, he will give them to you. Now we call that kind of evangelism Damascus Road evangelism. You're kind of interrupting somebody's life. Either with some words or or, uh, perhaps uh, a healing or something like that. But there is another way. The commentators kind of argue amongst themselves about percentages and things, but it seems, just taking it in the round, that a, a quarter of the people who come to Christ say they come to Christ in this way. Somebody's interrupted them. If you've never heard or seen Ray Comfort, he's got a great line in this. Have a look on YouTube. He goes and tells people about the Ten Commandments and then offers Jesus as the solution, and he does it really well. So that's one way. That leaves three-quarters of the people coming to Christ a different way. And to introduce that, Stephen's going to come and tell us a little bit of the Emmaus Road story. Thank you. Uh,
1: This reading is from uh, Luke 24, from verse 27 down to, Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and after breaking it, he was giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us?
0: Thank you, Stephen. you burned your pay. So the other way of sharing your faith is to walk with someone on their journey towards Christ, to talk to them in ways that they can understand. If you look at Jesus in the Gospels, sometimes he preaches from Scripture. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Scripture is really important. But at other times, he spends time with people. He talks to them in language and illustrations they can understand, drawn from the very life that they live. He talks about lost and found sons or people beaten up on desert roads. Or he talks about vineyards and fig trees and tenants and landlords or oil or bread or wine. Everything that people knew in order to understand what he was trying to say about the kingdom of heaven and himself. And we can do the same because we may not be the greatest theologians, I'm certainly not, and we may not have scripture memorized. But what we can do is talk about the Jesus that we know, the Jesus that has done things in our own lives. There are people out there that when you speak a bit of scripture, people will argue. Every line of scripture is disputed by somebody. But what people cannot take away from you is the Jesus that you know. And so everybody here should feel a little more confident in speaking at least that truth to somebody. Now there are times when the Holy Spirit wants to interrupt people's lives. Uh, We've talked about Ray Comfort doing it with the Ten Commandments. Uh, You might have a word of knowledge for someone. uh, Jesus might heal someone. In extreme cases, even deliverance uh, is a form of evangelism. But it seems for the most part, people come to Christ when someone walks alongside them and shares part of their journey and listens to what's going on in their lives. The good thing about that Kind of evangelism is that you're not only inviting people to meet Jesus but you're inviting them into a community of love so that they can meet Jesus not only directly but in each other as well because that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants family. Jesus wants community. Why not invite someone to church? I've done that. Some of you have seen that I've done that. But notice in the Emmaus Road story, Jesus is waiting at the end, and he's there, and and you find him. But he's also been there all along, teaching and encouraging and journeying with. And that's something we can do. Notice the emphasis placed on Scripture. I don't want to give the impression that Scripture isn't important. It is one of the the most uh, important things you can ever do in your life. We note that Jesus used both declaration or the Damascus Road method, think the money changes in the temple, if you want, and accompaniment, the many times that he spent around people's houses or on the Emmaus Road. And we have to choose whichever method we use appropriately. Ultimately, it's about an invitation to a community where people can be shown the love of Jesus not just once, but in their everyday lives, addressing the needs and concerns that they have in everyday life. If you've been looking at that slide up there, you'll see I've kind of hit most of the points on there, except one, and that's the one that says, expect the unexpected. After a while of going to Waterloo Station, I got used to it. I knew something was happening, I was confident, I looked forward to it, I was no longer afraid. And one day, I got there so early in my enthusiasm that I had too much time on my hands. And I like nothing better than to look around charity bookshops. I tried to go into the Oxfam bookshop in Good Street, and I saw, as it were, a red light shining in my eyes. It wasn't there in reality, but in my mind's eye, I could see it. And I knew straight away that God didn't want me to go in. And I thought to myself, okay, Lord, I, I understand you want me to get to Waterloo Station. There's something you want me to do. That's fine. I'm on my way. And I started taking my usual route, would have been down Jury Lane over Aldwych and over the bridge to Waterloo Station. And I'm walking down Jury Lane, and a motorcycle comes roaring past, noisily. And a little ahead of me, there's a little bald man who is shouting after this motorbike. And as I approach him, another motorbike goes past really noisily. And a police car, not, not chasing him, just following in the traffic after him. And this man, he grabs me and he says, what do you think of that motorbike? That's too noisy. Why aren't the police arresting him? And I gently said, well, (laughs) I don't think it's the police's problem. I think it's the council's problem. If you don't like the noise, you've you've got to speak to the council. Would you excuse me? There's something I've really got to do and I've got to be somewhere. So bye, you know, sorry. And I walked off and I must have got five or six paces down the road. And the man shouted after me, well, aren't you going to pray for me then? You'll notice in these stories I'm a bit slow on the uptake. So I walked back to him and I said, I'd love to pray for you. What would you like to pray about? And he told me his health problems. I said, fine, okay, let's pray. Do you mind if I put my my hand on your shoulder? Always ask before touching somebody. And he said, oh, no. No, you've got to anoint me with oil. And I I said, well, terribly sorry to tell you, I haven't got any oil. He said, but no, I have. And he took out a little sachet of oil. And he's trying to open it, and he's getting more frustrated because he can't open this sachet of oil. He's, he's really going on it, and I start to say to him, "Well, look, the oil is just a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Don't worry, we can pray. Jesus is listening. Don't worry." No, 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 it's got to be done. Actually, you've got to open it. He puts this thing in my hand, and I said, "Well, look, if you can't open it, I can't open it. Don't be silly, you know." And I, of course, one tear—you've probably guessed already—one tear, and the thing's all over my hands. I've got oil everywhere. I said, "Well, what do I do now?" never anointed anyone before and he said you've got to place your hands on my head and pray over me all right he said no no we've got to kneel down first so down he knelt and i okay so i knelt down i put my hands and i prayed for him and i i'm honestly telling you some of those words were not my own and we're in that time of silence after prayer where we're kind of just listening to god and somebody comes up and says oh sorry mate are you all right I said, well, I'm praying for this man, but, you know, if you'd like me to pray for you, I I, I seem to be here, you know, form a cue or whatever. Oh, no, no, I'm not having any of that. And he walked away. And so we got up. I'm still covered in oil. We got up. He said, oh, thanks, mate. I needed that. And he walked away. And I'm standing there with my hands covered in oil. And luckily I had a tissue. So expect the unexpected. Don't be blasé. If you see an opportunity that God is giving you and it just doesn't fit your normal pattern, don't worry. Go with it because that's what God wants. I hope I've managed to encourage you to preach the gospel to other people and share your faith. Take a leap of faith because God is with you. Just remember that Jesus doesn't, didn't just preach the gospel. He is the gospel. And so we're trying to introduce other people to the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for inviting me to preach today. It's been a real privilege, and I pray that you'll be blessed.